One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Grand Slam <laughs> review. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Will Vaughan from What Culture from Z105. Uh, joined, joined by Michael Avon and Michael Sidgwick. We're the Dudley Boys from hey. yeah. Here to review last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Collision, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2. Oh! Pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete. A quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamflet and the Culture Review, AEW Dynamite, Grand Slam, and Michael Hamflet, the curse is over. The curse was myth. <laughs> but yes, the curse is over. I did say up late. I did watch this live. I was very excited to watch it live. It wasn't even one of the things where I just thought... Oh, I'm up. I might as well. <laughs> I kind of made like a conscious choice as the evening wore on. I was like, I think I'm quite into this. And I felt rewarded, more so, I believe, than Sidge. I think this was my favourite Dynamite in recent memory and possibly of the year. Ooh. This felt like Dynamite. Like, you can't say the power is back anymore because you sort of know it's not. You need to give these things like a month. You need to say a month of power before you know it's yeah. definitely, definitely back rather than just coming in to make a quick quick stop. But this felt... NXT TakeOver otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. This just felt like good AEW had never gone away. Like, the crowd elevated what I thought was an excellent show. It was mostly excellent, but I've got this um, differentiating characteristic from Hamflet. It's called empathy. <laughs> <laughs> so there were certain moments on the show, which we will get into, that kind of undermined the vibe. Yeah. We've reversed all out 2020 it. This is what I, we've just like experienced the show on a completely different... Oh, yeah. Remember that one where yes. you, like, you switched on halfway through, you're like, was well, everyone really sad? <laughs> <laughs> but no, the, the highs were genuinely incredible. There was stuff that was outside of the control of the artistic success, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. hardly outside of the control of AEW, who had a complete nightmare during one match um, as an entity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was worried about Moxley, obviously. There was a spot in one match as well that was like, uh... I think I know which one you mean. Yeah, yeah. don't do that in any context, really. Um, but I, the highs were high, and just the level of thought... That has gone into this cold, strong MJF Joe thing. Like, absolute, like, narrative ingenuity, the likes of which only AEW has ever done for me. Like, if you take everything, and I'll try and tie it all together in my analysis. If you look at everything and how it deftly dovetails, oh. it's special. I think it's it was special program. I think it was a couple of them on the show. That I think that was oh, what it really was. Great like, stuff. Yeah, I felt like quite rewarded by a few things on the show, and it wasn't just like it wasn't just a big event for a big event's sake because they needed to sell a few more tickets and like make this feel like a grand slam, which it decidedly wasn't in the weeks leading up to mm. it. I thought this was like quite a nice reminder that they have actually had stuff like 
Bubbling. Bubbling under, yeah. And Cooking. like this is a good time for it to like for some of the stuff to boil over. But then you've got Wrestle Dream again. And what we're witnessing now is AEW trying to navigate like the choppy waters of content super service. I tweeted this last night, live tweeting along. I count like Excalibur said 17 things in his coming up on AEW. Like I, th- I think I counted 15 matches and then there was a contract signing and Rob Van Damme in action. You've got 17 things to promote on your TV show. This is this is it now. This yeah. is AEW now. So you how said about a promo, didn't you? And I was like, I've no idea what you're talking about. So yeah, I, I, I it was that. it was the four of them cutting promos about who's going to be the number one contenders to the Ring of Honor World tag, tag titles. titles. Please, not the righteous. Like, don't. Yeah, they will never. <laughs> I want to pick on them, but uh, like the Kingdom match makes all the sense in the world. It does. Mm. Seeing as we probably ought to review that, did you? I won't watch it. So. In, in that, in that, you saw the promo message, the four promos back to back to back to back with the Righteous and the Hardys and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Did it feel to you like the Righteous were responding to that memed collision promo they cut where like the small, small Righteous was like, huh, guess everybody's kind of crazy now. We're, maybe we're the ones that aren't crazy, huh? Huh? That kind of me felt like they were nah, responding to the whole bit. Is it? That's the whole bit. Oh, it's a bad bit. No, it's a terrible bit. It's bad an app. absolutely terrible bit. But, you know, mostly this was a great show. Mm. Yeah. And it opened uh, with the title versus title match. Claudio versus Eddie Kingston. Um, with all the the, the the saga that goes in, the story that goes into this, of course. Um, and, yeah, they wasted no time be- beating the crap out of each other. Trading shops, trading forearms. Uh, Kingston, I think, just edged it in terms of hometown support. Uh, they went out to the floor. When they got back inside, there was a nice gut-wrench suplex, which gave me flashbacks to, was it Supercard? Where he, Eddie Kingston took that bump onto Aye. the floor. Jeez. Um, and Kingston got woken up by a slap and, and hit a snap German suplex. He goes for the back fist, does Kingston, and he hits it, but Castagnoli just moves his big dome head, so he takes it sort of on the top, basically, um, so it's less effective. He um, then back suplexed Kingston out onto the, the ramp, the stage. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and as we go to a break, he's zoning in on the left arm of Kingston, a double stomp off the second rope, and a, an uppercut hit gets a two count as well. Uh, when we come back, Kingston hulks up. Uh, Inseguri Saito suplex. He gets a near fall off the back of that. He does the machine gun chops, but Castagnoli's like, enough of all that. Oh, God. No sells it. Oh, my God. And uh, Kingston thinks, all right, okay, well, that's not worked. What can I do? I'll punch him as hard as I can in the face. That should do it. Castagnoli returns the favor. Great face off. Uh, Claudio fires up. Huge uppercut. Ricola bomb. Gets a great two count. Uh, and the crowd are loving it. Um, he picks up Kingston. Kingston comes back. Multiple hurricanes. Northern Lights bomb. And Claudio kicks out this time. Oh, no. Um, Kingston can't hit the power bomb. So he another back fist. Hits the power bomb. High stack. One, two, three. Eddie Kingston is world champion. Babies are being thrown in the air in the Arthur Ashe Stadium. Uh, and post-match, there's even a handshake between Claudio and Eddie Kingston and the the, the wonderful moment with uh, Eddie Kingston holding up the New Japan Strong and, of course, the ROH World Title, Sige. I still maintain that the ROH World Title is beneath Kingston. It is beneath AEW. I wish they would just accept defeat, but it's not in the promoter's instinct or the billionaire's instinct to say, oh, this didn't really work. Let's just gently abandon it. Like, he's going to have to, I think, at some point. But it was still an absolutely richly deserved and really emotive uh, moment for Eddie Kingston. I thought this match was fantastic. Like, I really, really was gripped. Like, put your phone down. You're watching Kingston in the fight of his life sort of thing. Um... Like, maybe it could have gone five more minutes, 
mm. given the length of the rivalry and the stakes and how much it meant to the character. But it was just, there were so many beautiful things. Like, I understand the logic of targeting one body part if you are a wrestler. What I loved about Claudio's, like, heat spot here is that it was gruesome. Mm. Like, he went, like, elbows in the back of the head, forearms in the back of the head, an absolutely exquisite use of the ramp, which is sort of gift and curse because well, we saw what happened to Adam Cole, but then you get something like the sheer, I loved the backdrop suplex onto the ramp because it felt like a real moment of strategy in what felt when you are firmly in suspension of uh, disbelief mode, like a real narrative opportunity and a real fight. Like, oh, there's a really hard ramp there. There isn't normally. I'm just going to give you a backdrop suplex yeah. on that. And then he's gone for the back of the head. He's uppercutting him. Then he starts stamping on the hands. Oof. And I love that story beat of, I'm just going to bruise every part of your body. But then Kingston's all about spirit. That you can bruise every bone of my body. You can never break my spirit. And he roars back. Just love how Kingston is just so pissy. Like, it's funny. I'm just going to like punch you as hard as I can in the stomach. It's all <laughs> I've got left and it's there. I'm do that. Um... The bit where Claudio was eating the machine gun chops was so, like, if you know everything about the rivalry, and I don't know everything, but I know a lot, mm. and you can infer it even if you don't, of the, oh, come on. Like, fight me, the human horse. Stop playing tribute to your favorite wrestlers and just fight as you're not on their level and you're not on mine. And he's like, actually, I am actually powerbomb, a high stack here. I will give you a pin that you cannot break, and I'm going to beat you. Like, it was just a really well-told match. The atmosphere was intoxicating. Oh. You could tell where the camera was positioned on those wide shots where they didn't capture the full majesty of the stadium because it wasn't full and they couldn't. Mm. And yet, through force of will, through the emotional logic of this wonderful triumph for a man that everyone just really loves or everyone should love, it just <laughs> felt like a big, big, big moment um, I couldn't say more about this. Just really, really thought it was great and really well thought out. Yeah, like nothing else to add to the quality of the match there specifically, but like I think one of many areas on the show where I felt like you've got to kind of pay tribute to Tony Khan as a booker here. I was the low guy on the first match, um, but I think even if you're not invested in the full story, that match has improved for me based on how... Uh, supportive it was of this one. Mm. Like you've seen the, the feeling, Hurricane Rana, the feeling, pin, yeah, like callback, the stuff towards the end when, like, and you could feel it in the building um, where Claudio kicked out was rooted in just how he, the nature of how he defeated him at Supercard. It's like, c come on, like, he, he cannot beat him, can he? Yeah. He cannot beat him. And Tony Khan got this one bang right because, and we said this yesterday, like, you were kind of what would have once been a guarantee. Oh, like Arthur Ashe is going to make this special. Kind of became a nervous hope. Mm. I hope Arthur Ashe can make this special. And it did. Like yeah. there was an in incredible, like you could feel it when, when um, like they did the brilliant, like all Japan inspired entrances as they're like, they're walking out from the backstage area and you could feel it then. It was like, oh wow, this has got two world title matches on it. And you forgot the, the relatively low stakes ring of honor title element of it. Like that's why I, like I, I'd get shot in some circles for calling this like an over delivery. But I think if you do consider the stakes, it kind of was, yes. mm. even though like, you know, the, the assumed quality of the, of the work. So I was just like really, really good 
booking of this story within the confines of AEW, even if you discount the long-standing rivalry, and two wrestlers that can elevate it with very limited materials to work with. Kingston has to cut like an all-time go-home promo. They've got to do a lot of it in the body of the matches themselves because some of the storyline stuff on the way was quite poor. Um, like a real achievement, and it... You cannot keep doing it, it'll be all right on the night, but this was, like, way better than all right. Yeah. So it was, like, a big win for Tony Khan. This, like, tremendous stuff. And uh, I love the ramp stuff, too, because every year I forget until I'm reminded, but ramps are road. Yeah. I love that ramp. Yeah. The, uh, it's a road. There's a manhole covering it one year on somebody fall through it. Yeah. Turns out to shoot a hole. Adam <laughs> Cole nearly did. Hope he's all right. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never wish an injury on anyone, of course. Um, but if we get Adam Cole now in a hospital bed next to Roderick Strong going forward, oh I love that. Because we next go to Roderick Strong's hospital bedside. Uh, Taven and Bennett are there. Oh, my God. They've been... They've got rosaries as well. They've got yeah. rosaries. They've got a Get Well card, I believe, from uh, someone thanking him for promoting Neck Health Awareness Month. <laughs> uh, Adam Cole comes in. And literally, as presumably, he's been sat the entire time going, Adam! He comes in this time. He's been on the floor. Yeah. As we would find out later in the show. Uh, and Taven and Bennett are like, oh, convenient to arrive now. We've got to head off to Grand Slam to become number one contenders for the ROH tag titles. And Cole's like, well, just popped in to see you. Best get off, though, because I'm going to, you know, second MJF in his match with, with Samoa Joe. And Strong's very de- dejected. And Cole sort of goes to leave and stops. And you hear, yeah. <laughs> and Strong's <laughs> bed's lifting up. He just goes, just freaking go at him. Oh my god! This is just so good. Yeah, just everything about Roderick Strong is just amazing. I love that he's wearing glasses. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah, <laughs> the I, I think what he's trying to do, and it's very dumb but clever, if that makes sense, is convey to Adam Cole, "I'm the trustworthy one. I can see what's really happening here <laughs> through my glasses that yeah. I'm wearing." It's just so stupid and yet so inspired. Like Taven in the prayer pose. I love Matt Taven. Like, Roddy Strong just looking dead. He yeah. thinks he's dead, <laughs> or he thinks he's dying, or he's trying to convince you that he's dying. Like, I like when Adam Cole came in, and Strong sells it like he's uh, betwixt, like, heaven and earth. Like, in his dying breath, he can't even, he can only see a light, he can't <laughs> see what's around that you? him. Is that, is that you? Is that you? I'm being pulled away from the realm. <laughs> and he's just got his eyes closed. He's just being incredibly melodramatic. It's sort of childlike, isn't it? Have you, do you have a thing with your kids where they're like, they you know, scratch their knee and they're like, I think my leg's going to fall off. And you're like, not really, yeah. but I'll, I'll, I'll it's just play being a baby. Yeah. It's just being a baby. And it's amazing. And what I loved about the bed spot, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's like, I don't know how to describe it. It's an electronic bed that you can just turn... In an angle, so you're yeah, you can just up. lift your your yeah your back up. Yeah, just the idea that Roderick Strong to Adam Cole right now. Adam Cole is fundamentally a good person, but he's being really annoying, and he might not be like on the level and telling the truth. And he's he's either milking it or being a knob. And Cole's like full of patience. He's a good guy, but he's the friend that you resent. You know, you got a friend who's got a problem. You're like, Ugh. Oh, I kind of resent that actually. <laughs> And the idea of, like, the actual body language of Roderick Strong was, like, echoed, like, the lurching dread within Cole. It's like, oh, God, he's still there. <laughs> he's still there, and he's not going away. <laughs> Just absolutely wonderful physical acting here by yeah. all involved. S- still so funny. The, the Doing the bed twice 
It's great because like that's that's a preposterous noise for a television show, and then you get it again as he lowers himself back down as Cole leaves. There was two only two sort of other things I wanted to acknowledge in this. Uh, the uh, I'll take it from here, nurse. In a hospital room. Such yeah. an iconic hospital skit line. You're waiting for Austin to rock up with the bedpan. Yeah. So I just, that was a nice reference. And then another one, which, you know, that one, super iconic. Everybody watched it. I'll give you one that nobody watched because it was from the CWC. If you remember, I thought this was a bit of really cute, false, fo- like false foreshadowing from people that would do this. Do you remember? I'm speaking to you two because we reviewed it. Not our listeners. Do you remember when Adam Cole turned on Kyle O'Reilly? Mm-hmm. In that final splitting of the Undisputed Era, and Roderick Strong was kind of the last man standing, and they had that really tight shot in on Adam Cole, and Strong was, like, over his shoulder. And you're watching, like, Adam Cole, kind of, it's very NXT 2021, coming to terms with the decision he's made, and Strong's just looking on confused. They did that shot again before Adam Cole left the hospital. Yes. And obviously, this is a shot that existed to show you that Adam Cole is going to turn on his friend. And ahead of that main event, I thought that was just a nice yeah. little, like, almost like an Easter egg from the same performers to be like, yeah. it's... What does that, that mean? And it meant nothing, ultimately, but like I just thought that was a nice little reference, if indeed it was one. And it just underscores how much thought has gone into this. It's just, it's a masterpiece. It really is. Renee Paquette's backstage with Luchasaurus and Christian Cage. Uh, they're going to kick uh, Sting and Darby Allen's ass at Rampage Grand Slam. Um, and then Cage issues a challenge to Darby Allen for collision. It's a three-way match. Which he, I think he also accidentally calls a handicap match at one yeah. point. Himself, Luchasaurus, uh, and Allen for the TNT title. Um, and he gets a local dig in. He got about the same chance as the Yankees and the Mets of winning this. Um, the only caveat being Sting's not allowed at ringside. And as for Rampage, Cage tells Allen, bring the boy. It, Let the boy watch. It's good that the Sting matches happen on Rampage because it allows you to speculate about what might happen on the collision one, I suppose. Um I thought it was this was less than ideal, to be honest, because Christian is, I'm kind of bored of fighting Darby Allen, And I went, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Like we, you are promoting two more matches with this guy when you've done the big Wembley payoff and then kind of undone that to have another pay-per-view match the following week. A little bit slapdash for this to me that we're still doing this. They were hanging a lantern on, yeah, one more. Just let me have one more. Mm. I was like, do you need one more? Is I think if Darby's going to win the title on Collision... And then just a new challenger will emerge at Wrestle Dream, and it could be like a new Japan guy, the Edger, getting revenge for well, ostensibly getting revenge for Christian, but we don't know. We don't know where they stand. Oh, keep teasing him, not delivering it. No. They, Same as Mercedes Monet. No. Bloody hell, We're not teasing him again. No, they did kind of tease Monet. They did, yeah. Was, yeah, but that was Britt Baker's thing, wasn't it? It was like they didn't explicitly. Of yeah. That created a really weird culture war because there was. Like a bunch of people being way too stubborn about no, they outright said Mercedes Monet in action tonight, and they yes, didn't. They didn't. But then there was just as many defenders saying, "Don't even know what you're talking about. You're stupid if you think she was coming." There were some pretty good clues. And yeah, I, I and that was a, that wasn't live. They could have cut that out if they were like, "Oh, yeah. so just do it again." I, did I, I want to know that story still. Did you ever see a show called uh, an AW broadcast, a telecast called The First Dance? That was really good. And how that was so effective was, yeah, like the stupid culture wall that one. Sorry, I should have said the, then they were teasing Mercedes. Money. Money. Tell you what was money. 
what happened at the end of the next match. Chris Jericho versus Sammy Guevara. Um, Guevara did a light-up vest entrance and was wrapped to the ring by Montesi. Uh, and there's a nice show of respect. They shake hands. Uh, and then that immediately turns to them slapping and chopping each other, of course. Uh, at one point, Guevara hit a drop kick. Jericho is not happy, though. You don't do the sex god pose. Do not. <laughs> sort of paintbrushes him a little bit. Uh, Jericho counters the GTH into a code breaker and suplexes off the apron to the floor to take us to a break. When we come back, Jericho takes Guevara's head off with a clothesline, uh, but Guevara hits a code breaker. Uh, go, hits a moonsault off the floor, off the top to the floor, but uh, sort of does his knee a little bit in the, pro- in the process, and that allows Jericho to recover and drop kick a springing Guevara in midair. I don't know what the spot was in the corner. Ugh. It was like springboard drop kick thing, and it all went a bit wrong there, to be honest. But uh, Guevara hit a huge car off the top for two, so I immediately forgot about all that. Um, Guevara tried again for the uh, GTH, uh, but uh, De- Jericho counters into the walls of Jericho. Guevara managed to get out of it. Pumpney uh, hits an avalanche cutter in the corner, misses the top rope lion salt. Uh, Jericho, after a face buster, does manage to hit it for a two count, though. Um, Guevara hits a pump kick, GTH, but the shooting star press gets countered with a code breaker in midair. Jericho gets the one, two, three, but arguably... This is all about what happened post-match. Um, Jericho and Guevara, you know, shake hands. They've gone to war, but they're, they're always going to be the sex gods. And then Guevara channeling his inner, checks notes, Chris Jericho <laughs> at WrestleMania, a bit like he did to Shawn Michaels. Guevara kicks Jericho in the dick, and Jericho slides down Guevara. And then who should come out but bloody Don Callis, who walks back with, presumably, the newest member of Don Callis's family. Um, I want to... Talk about the match first because I didn't like it and think it was good, but I thought the post match was like all kinds of excellent. Yeah. So I'll leave it on a high note. <laughs> this match was weird. Um, like the execution was really subpar. I thought they were on completely different pages at too many points. And it's stunning for how much chemistry they have as like mates and as tag team partners. Very little chemistry between them in the ring. And when they. Strap in because we've got like four more of these. <laughs> uh, well, I'll die. Hopefully they can improve. There'll be bells, whistles, and plunder. So it should be fine going forward. Um, I'd already made the point that when it was um, Jericho getting courted by Callis originally, and he teamed with Takeshita to take on Garcia and Guevara, they'd done that spot that Guevara does in every single match, which is fine, where he does the leapfrog then the backflip, then the dropkick, and then the pose. Like, Jericho was, like, sprinting as hard as he could to get under it the first time, and it looked rough. The exact same thing happened here, and he kind of, like, his momentum got forced into the ropes because he kind of got clipped by Mm. Guevara on the way down. He's like, oh, going at the ropes. It looked rough. It looked so contrived and fake. And then, my God, I don't even know what they were doing on the apron they eventually tried to... It was a decent bit of a salvage job when Guevara just did the enziguri. But like, I don't know what they were doing. All I know is whatever they were trying to do, they missed by, no hyperbole, several feet. Yeah. It was odd. And then what also didn't help is that I don't think the fans are that into the prospect of this. So what you got was... like, listen, If it was like a, a waveform, is that when you see the sound? Yeah. Just eerie hum. Ooh, that was a nice high spot. Eerie hum. And it always feels more empty and hollow in the stadium open air setting. Eerie hum. Ah, that was a nice high spot. <laughs> Eerie hum. Oh, ah, that was a nice high spot. And it was just like, it reflected how disjointed I thought the match was. 
What's a real shame is that I thought there were so many nice ideas in this. Yeah. It just didn't come together. I loved the anti-exposition spot of Sammy Guevara doing a top rope line salt as if to suggest I am literally a level above you at yeah. this point in my mind. And then Jericho was like, no, you're not. I'm going to get my knees up. You just think you are. A perfect, perfect pro wrestling sequence that said so much about where the characters are or where the characters are, but with no words, just beautiful language of pro wrestling. And then I don't think they could got, could have got that finish better if they'd done it another hundred times. Mm-hmm. The moonsault into the code breaker, it just looked great. Um, so I thought I didn't get much out of the match, and as I was watching it, I was like getting dejected as the minutes went on. One more thing as well, because the work in the match was a bit sloppy, when they went to do the spot that turned into the cutter off the top rope, I was just terrified, because usually you're meant to be terrified, but you're meant to be terrified when you see them going up to the turnbuckle, like when Osprey and Omega do it, and they did the avalanche Kreutz wrath, you're like, there's a part of you that knows, there's a part of you that's rational and thinks, they're excellent, they are godlike at this, they are going to pull this off, I'm just going to be terrified. Because they'd had deep chemistry issues in this match, and they went to do an ostensibly terrifying spot off the top rope, I was the wrong kind of scared. It wasn't like, oh, the car- what's going to happen to the character? I'm like, what's going to happen to the human beings doing this <laughs> spot? So I thought that was undermined. But the post-match was phenomenal. I've spoken at length about, sometimes I think I have chosen the wrong hobby. I'm so stupid and pedantic, and, you know, I just don't, like, get on with wrestling inherently because I'm pointing things out that you're not meant to. So I think, have I just chosen the wrong thing? (laughs) Should I just become a film guy or something? The idea that something that happened 20 years ago, 2003, was it? Yeah. WrestleMania 19? 20 years ago, an entire generation has, like, repeated it, the same mistakes or the same, like, choices. In a weird, small way, it felt like, oh, my life matters. (laughs) (laughs) Everything I've dedicated my life to is an escapist hobby. Oh, it was worth watching all along. I just thought that was so good and so, like, touching. It's just It just brought into focus, my God, I'm old. I'm old. But I've lived through that. What a callback. It was stunning. Um, I let Hamlet handle the gear side of things. Um, I saw one person complain that oh, Guevara's going to turn on Jericho. Why didn't you just have Callus help him win? But maybe I think it was possibly a bit of headcanon, a bit of generosity, because I just loved the idea of this finish, that maybe he's just made that decision there and then. And Callus is like, well, I've got him, so I'm going to go and get him. Sorry, one more thing on this post-match that I thought was absolutely superb um, was AEW has got a pretty bad habit of telegraphing who is going to be next or who the finalists of a tournament are going to yes. be. They subverted that to brilliant effect by them saying, we're going to pursue the tag team titles after this. We're going to pursue the tag team titles. And everyone fantasy booked FTR versus the Sex Gods because they kind of told you. And these things tend to drag on sometimes in AEW. So I thought, well, they're going to have the fallout during the FTR match after that. What a shocking twist. I was shocked. Yeah. But... And what a subversion of a bad AEW device this was. But why shouldn't I have been shocked, Michael Hamflin? <laughs> well, I was 
having that exact same feeling that you had. So like, oh, my life does matter. As I like pushed up my imaginary Roderick Strong glasses up my nose and was halfway through tweeting, uh, guys, Sammy Guevara's gear is actually a derivation of Christian. And then they said it on commentary as I was halfway through. I was like, yeah. oh, no, F me then. <laughs> uh, but them saying it on commentary was important because I think that gave time for the viewers at home to wrap their head around what it was they were watching as the match unfolded and indeed people in the arena together. And I'm way higher on the match than Sidgwick. I, this might sound generous, but I feel like the ambition that got some of the great stuff out of this match was ultimately what undid them when it went wrong. And I think, like, I would rather have that. I would rather have them. The top rope lion salt spot was the one that stuck out to me. The swung for the fences. For the finish, you know, as well, to, like, see, like, this supreme athlete that can still be taken down by a guy that used to be able to do that, so still has the counter game in his arsenal, even if he can't scale to the heights mm-hmm. anymore. I thought that was, like, a really well-told story. So clever. That ultimately, like... Well, everyone does the job for Father Time. Chris Jericho is also that man. And like that, Chris Jericho used to do that like springboard middle rope dropkick in his sleep. And the Chris Jericho in his head thinks, yeah, I can springboard into you, probably what, draping his neck over the top rope, let's say. And then what you got was that. Yeah. And it was a disaster, you know, but like... I'll tell you one thing. It puts over how good Buddy Will Ospreay is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. In comparison. You know? Like, oh my God, that guy is, I hate to say it, he's unbelievable. Uh, and he makes everyone just look awesome. And like Guevara, it, you know, wasn't particularly like Guevara wasn't there so much as just like a dreadful miscommunication, that one. Um, but yeah, so I was generally higher on the match and liking what I was seeing. And again, I think it was because, and some of this was gear driven, but that point that Sid makes about the FTR thing that we all thought was coming, it was only halfway through the match that I thought there's more to this Jericho Michaels thing. Like they're not just leaning on the 2003 feud, they're leaning on the 2008 one. The first Jericho Michael, people remember this is this blood feud, right? That made Jericho the serious man. The first one's a wrestling match. Yeah. Chris Jericho's still in his like flashy tights, and Michael just beats him. And he's like, again, you beat me again. And that's what drives him to slam his face into the monitor and bust his eye open. And then you get into the, and that's why we're getting probably two or three more of these Guevara things, you know, like it's becoming unsanctioned and ladder, maybe. Yeah, this was the start of the blood feud, not the end of a little petty dispute, you know. And it's realizing that as the match was ongoing made it more exciting for me because I, I think I did start to lean towards oh, Jericho's in red and black as well, and so was Sean. He's winning here. So yeah, again, it's all head cannon. You kind of you know can view it differently. The cal- great job of obscuring it and foreshadowing it. The Callis thing, they shot Sammy Guevara looking a bit concerned that Osprey had kicked out of the Judas effect and shooting a look to Don Callis. And I like elbowed Sidge at Wembley. I think Guevara's joined the family tonight, Sidge. And that was a shot. That was a detail that you were obviously led to think about. And this shouldn't therefore come as this big shock. There was this brilliant bit, I think when you were off, Wilborn, where Callis goes up to Guevara and he's like, uh, yeah, great news about the baby man. Like, great to see it. Like, he's clearly just found out and he cares not for this man. Yeah. But now he's trying to fake <laughs> it. And what I loved about the finish, because I saw some criticism about that. Why wouldn't he just help him? That's not what's gone on here. Don Callis is a bastard. Bastards don't sign people and make it all very professional. They tap people up. Yeah. Tapping up's a nasty trick. And then once the tapping up has been done in the background, the reveal is like, you're not going to believe it. We've signed so-and-so. Yeah, you've been doing your dark art stuff when nobody was watching. That's what happened here. Callis has been tapping him up, and now he's going to go get pen to paper. And that was what we saw. Like, he's been in Guevara's head, and Guevara's looked at this and thought, yeah, it's time. It's time. Like, so, like, it's, so it's arguably that's why when he's backstage and Garcia comes up, yeah. he's like, "Quick, you need to get signed sign this contract." Yeah, never mind about Garcia. It, he's kind of like, well, remember when Guevara, uh, when Callis, like to Jericho, "Oh, you do want to join the family?" Yeah, like ultimately quite a bad angle that had loads of plot holes, but the Callis element of it made total sense. Oh, I, I forget the painting. Yeah, but yeah, it's what I hoped would happen. So that is very much him. So I, I love that as well. The Guevara, like the the Danny Garcia insertion in the post match afterwards. 
kind of salvages something that, again, felt parked, dropped, whatever. I was getting concerned about the Garcia. Dithering. Element. Yeah, and they've picked that right back up. So he suddenly feels really involved again, and I was excited by that too. It's just a really stunning masterstroke to do Michael's Jericho stuff off this. Bold. It's bold, and it, I think it's a masterstroke. It's just, and that just gives it so much heft. Like, I'm always about interior lives, things mattering when the cameras come off, and history mattering, and a proper generational story. I think this is great stuff. You know, now Jericho's moved into the Michaels role. Um, and obviously, I mean, it, it would never happen, but, you know, the, the Ty Conti, Shawn Michaels' wife thing. It'd be funny if you have that thing where Jericho has to retire, and it's Jake Hager in the ring with him, and he moves, and Sammy, like, yeah, Sammy yeah. just slugs Jake Hager. <laughs> no, Jake Hager! <laughs> Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. MJF and Adam Cole uh, turn up in a very nice looking car. MJF is cutting a promo. He's going to smash Samojo skull in. Um, he tries to take away two precious things to him. The AW title and his brother, Adam Cole, um, he's going to choke out Joe tonight in front of his people. Uh, and the last thing Joe's going to hear before he passes out is the chance of MJF. And he goes to hit his signature line, but he gets distracted because Adam Cole's phone starts ringing. It's Roderick Strong. <laughs> Adam. <laughs> MJF's like, Cole, you can still have my back, aren't you? And Cole's like, yeah, 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 just, just one second. <laughs> and he's on the phone reassuring Roderick Strong he's not going to die. I love that detail so much because as I, I was talking to Hamlet about this over the desks, like there are a million ways that Roderick Strong could deliver that line brilliantly, <laughs> but you're like invited to imagine how he said it. Like Adam, oh Adam, it's you know I think it's going to be too late. It's so you're not dying. <laughs> it's getting dark, Adam. Oh, actually, no, it's not. I, I can see a light, Adam. <laughs> like you can imagine what he said. Uh, the best jokes give you a mental image. Or something like that. And this gives you a, a, a noise in your imagination. Yeah. And mine was, like, different to that as well, to, like, illustrate a point. Mine was, like, him in his most pissiest mood. Adam! Adam, I'm dying, Adam! <laughs> like, as if he's woke up startled or something like that. And You're very he's, animated for someone who's about to yeah. slip away, yeah. Aye, tremendous. Uh, then we got the bit with uh, Callis Guevara and Garcia. Uh, never mind about that. Garcia's money. Quick, let's take you through here, basically. Good stuff. 
And then uh, we got the international championship match, John Moxley versus Ray Phoenix, um, which obviously a lot of people will be talking about today. Um, clips have been doing the rounds, understandably. Uh, get well soon, John Moxley. That's the most important thing. And I'll yeah. get your thoughts on not only the match, but the way it was handled in a second stage. I'll run through what happened uh, because I, I think I, and I don't know if, about you two, I assumed the concussion happened on the um, on the uh, black fire driver, but subsequently have discovered actually it happened immediately. They brawl in on the ramp, Phoenix hits a springboard kick, and this huge somersault over the camera, it looked awesome, over the camera, off the stage, to the floor. He takes out Mox. Um, I don't, I'm not going to say anything else because I'm going to tre- tread all over your bit that you've been talking about in the office today, so I'll just say what happened, and then and you can pick up the commentary and what have you. So Moxie comes back. Um, uh, Phoenix tries some somersault on Mox. It's a great spot. Just nails him in the face with a forearm. They go to the outside. Phoenix tries to do his guardrail walk into a kick, but Moxie just sweeps his legs and double underhook draping DDTs him. Um, they fight back inside. Phoenix hits a corner spinning kick and a somersault cutter. Uh, hits the frog splash, but only gets a two count. Um, and as they uh, go into commercial... Phoenix tries to springboard back inside, but gets hit with a Death Rider for two. They spill out to the stage. Moxley hits a brutal-looking curb stomp on uh, Ray Phoenix. Pile driver back inside gets a two count. Moxley wants an avalanche Death Rider. Phoenix fights out, though. Sent on Atomico. Hits the Blackfire driver. Um, Rick Knox counts the two, but doesn't count the three, because I think he assumed Moxley was going to kick out that. That actually didn't happen. Uh, and so Phoenix just hits basically another Blackfire driver. Ugh. One, two, three. Um, everyone's stunned. Ray Phoenix is the new international champion. But obviously that's not really the story of this match. Sage. Oh, I cringed so badly when, like, uh, I'm going to try and be... My thoughts are going to be scattered here. I feel like a bad analyst reviewing this match, right? Because... There are people who I think knew something had gone awry when I've gone retrospectively because I watched it um, after the fact. Spoiler free. When I went back on X and went through the timeline, there were people who were like, is Moxley okay? And I feel like such a terrible analyst. And it's one of those things where if I watch this back, it's probably going to be really obvious. But he did some really cool stuff in the match. Mm -hmm. I just thought he was like being effortlessly cool and doing some deadpan wit stuff by cutting him off like in an almost nonchalant fashion. He like fell out. over and he, on the floor and then he got into the ring and seemed to shake it off. Yeah. I was like, that's amazing, selling of what he was doing at ringside. to full, I, like, thought, I feel Scalibur like... Scalibur said, rope a dope. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like, yeah. That's really good detail work from Moxley. I felt like a terrible analyst after the fact because like, is Moxley just so good that he can just be effortlessly cool being concussed? Because <laughs> the, like, there's a wit... To wrestling matches, and I thought that's what they were going for here. Mm. Like, is he just deadpan cutting him off because he's Moxley and he's worked so many flyers, high flyers of late, Commander AR Fox, Phoenix, Andre, that he's just worked them out? It's, and is it's that the new story? I'll of the absorb match? a dive and then I'll deck you. It's yeah. his yeah. version of Samojo walking away from someone here. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. Is he just worked out, right? Okay, he's gonna attack me now. Seen this, he's gonna do like a little quick half step and then bang. Yeah, rope a no. <laughs> yeah. Apparently he was like concussed. Um so I thought this was a pretty cool story, building on what they'd been doing for the past three or four weeks. No, it wasn't. The so I felt like a bad analyst because I didn't really perceive this as happening. And it's I'm gonna feel like an idiot even more if I watch the footage back. The point is, Excalibur seemed to know. Yes. He seemed to know. And what do you do? 
well, the thing is, if you've got, a, if you suspect that someone's got a concussion, you just call it off in no contest. I think they've done it before with Pack and Cassidy, mm-hmm. um, that one they had on Dynamite in 2021, oh, yeah. and they just went right, do a double count out, call the audible. It's just as well because they were going to go to a draw to build the three way. So they've done it before. So uh, who hasn't noticed? Because it's someone's job to notice, and indeed. Someone on the broadcast team, Excalibur, seemed to notice. So if Tony Khan's on headsets, he can hear it. He's relaying instructions. Who's not done their job here? And if no one's noticed, because Moxley had this effortless swagger, which is not an effortless swagger, it's someone sort of a muscle memory doing it. Like, even, as I said, in ups and downs, like, Carl Gotch could have told you from his grave, that, all right, okay, there's a cryptic clue that all's not right with them, John Moxley. And it's because he's motionless on the canvas, not kicking out of what definitely wasn't the finish. Mm-hmm. Like, at this point, who cares about the finish of a predetermined match? And mercifully, if you're not aware, um, Dave Meltzer reported that he was diagnosed with a mild concussion and, and he might not even miss any ring time. It's a different story for a different day. Like, even I, I've never really been good at picking up signs that someone's wobbly. The only time I've ever really been able to do is, oh, the Undertaker at WrestleMania 30, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's not right. I'm yeah. just not good at it. It's always a surprise to me after the fact when it's, I oh, he's working with a concussion. I'm just I'm not good at picking up the signs, I'm sorry. But it's not really my job to do that. It's Rick Knox's. Even I, even someone who's been dead for centuries, <laughs> after that first pile drive, I was like, right, well, he's... Don't make them do it again. Just no contest it, no contest it. And it's one of those where you can take heat in the moment. I don't know. Rick Knox is terrible at his job last night. I deserve maybe a total note of sympathy to be like, oh, I don't want to like call it. You know, I'd, uh, it was bad. It was a bad night for Rick Knox. He can't disguise it. It was a bad night. Um, it's not what I would do in that position. It's what someone trained to do in that yeah. position should do. I think that's the ultimate difference. And after that first one, one, two, oh, right. I would just have gone, like, don't pick him up and do it again. Who cares about the creative of this title? You can, there are people paid. People, billionaires have got the job of yeah. working out what does next. What's right to do in the moment? Who didn't do what they should have done here? There should be an inquest. People should get fined at a minimum. Like, this, is, this is a disaster, and it could have gone a lot worse than it did. I think that's... I think I'm trying to be sympathetic and, you know, realistic there, I think. Yeah, like, it's... This isn't as... Nor, nor was this a crisis point as the Matt Hardy one was back in 2020. <sighs> yeah. But just like then... Which it, can't happen again. Inquest is the key word from Sidgwick, because, like... This you know, cannot happen again after that. As a viewer, you can apportion blame where you think it might go, but uh, a system should exist in place to ensure that what we saw doesn't happen. You know, people are going to get injured. That's terrible, but, like... You know, to, to counter that, I guess, to play, what, not the devil's advocate, angel's advocate, like, Hangman Page and Moxley, we were talking about this, was dealt with really well. Like, especially, and that was like another high-stakes match that mattered, and Page goes down, and yeah, it's weird, but everyone immediately goes, oh, fuck, I hope he's all right, and Moxley takes the mic, and on you go, and the referees are doing Paul Turner. Paul Turner, the yeah. Yeah. And, but either way, like, the system worked there, and it didn't here. And, like, it's just... Uh, I'm the bad analyst Sid was talking about because I thought Moxley shook this off and I was really drawn into the match. And so on X, 
right? After the fact, people that were there live. Fair, a lot of people were like perplexed. Was oh, the, everyone thought it was the first, just the pile driver? Well, this suddenly sounds like a very trivialized thing, but I was worried about John Mox's neck health. Yeah. Because he doesn't move off a pile driver, and I've long erased any worries of a concussion because they've had that die, they've had that moment. Phoenix it's a similar pile driver to one we've all lived through in 1987. Yeah, yep. exactly. That way around. Exactly that went through my head. First thing I think I saw on Twitter, I think it was Ryan Satin, maybe the slow-mo of that, and I was like, uh-oh. Yeah, so like he's not moving, and I was like, oh, God, that's not great. But then, so then you're like, well, what's going on here? And then obviously they do the bit again, and I'm, oh my God, it's pretty horrifying watching him pick a guy up that could be, God knows how injured for a second finisher, he wins. And then immediately, because it's like an ad break or a backstage thing, people on Twitter that are in the building saying, John Moxley's up on his feet, Renee's come out the doctor's route and he's walking back. And like everyone watching live on X breathed a sigh of relief because we've all thought neck health. So a lot of people missed this concussion thing. A lot of people, or a lot of people rolled out their wobbly legs as a, a thing in the moment. It'll and probably become really obvious when you watch it again. Yeah. There's a so. difference between watching something equipped with knowledge and watching it back. I feel like I'm trying to be fair to every party without while saying that you should be admonished for how much of a farce this was. Um, this is almost irrelevant. Good match. Like, it feels irrelevant to say this after everything else we've just talked about. It was a good match. I thought, like, it was good. I thought the chemistry was great. I thought, like, to Sidrick's point, I thought there was a Moxley has figured out, like, this style to the story. And then, obviously, you know when you're watching an improvised finish, so you're watching something that hasn't gone quite as it should have gone. Um, watched a disaster. But I an immersion-breaking disaster. But who cares about immersion yeah, at this point? I, should, I'm not the first person to point this out. I'm sorry to interrupt because it will fall out of my head because I've got a terrible memory. I'm sorry. Do what WWE do. Treat it as a shoot. Because mm. that way, like, mercifully, the concussion's mild and you might not even mi risk uh, miss any ring time. But you, if you know for a fact he's not kicked out, the second that Phoenix tries to pick him up, just get off him, call it, leave it out afterwards. But that wouldn't happen if there's a policy that they should probably implement going forward. Treat it like a shoot. Mm -hmm. Someone can't kick out. There's a good reason that we can fix creatively later. Mm. You know, wrestling's not real. Yeah. Like, no one cares about that. You know, all right, okay, don't get the new uh, Warner deal because our wrestling's not real, it turns out. <laughs> everyone's going to stop watching. Like, how oh, where? Uh, Phoenix won the belt. <laughs> HBO Max. Sorry, guys. Right there. I know you couldn't not celebrate, but my God, he went wild. <laughs> I did it. You know what I mean? It was like that contrast. Like, at this point, I'm thinking, is John Moxley paralyzed? And Phoenix is doing that. It's like he could not. That's the thing. I don't blame Phoenix. Like he's trying to play his role in this stunt live action soap opera that can go badly wrong. Not only does he want a title, he's taking it off the guy who took him out of All In. Yeah. Yeah. So he's probably in his head, he's thinking, well, how do I react to this? I've won a title. Maybe at this point. That should have never got to that point, though. That's what I'm saying. Yes, yeah. You should never have allowed Phoenix to say, do you do keep kayfabe and celebrate your title win? Yeah. Or do you just look, or do you break it all down? Uh, uh, should never have happened. Do you know what, though? Like, it's, and again, like, it's maybe easy to talk about assuming that Moxley will be okay. And even if he does take a break, like, great, get well, the whole deal. But, like, I... Me and Sid this morning, like the usual sort of post-dynamite thing, if it was like really obviously great or really obviously bad, or even somewhere in the middle, it was just like quick thoughts and then crack on. I was riding a high. I thought this was like such a fantastic dynamite, completely, like not to sound cold, 
because I'm pretty soft when it comes to wrestling. I was like really unaffected by this. But so were the crowd. Like when you were sort of saying, ah, yeah, but the vibe was they gone, wasn't it? They watched him walk out. Probably that, yeah. Point, but yeah. like your, your first thought was very Excalibur much... Excalibur told uh, me after the match, oh, he's okay, folks. He's walked out. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's good. But he could still be, you know, could still have broken his neck. Yeah. I, I'm a like real, Austin walked out. Yeah. I'm a real piece of shit then because I was just like, <laughs> I was probably doing a good tick, right, great, on we go, I'm having a party. Like there was a real... I don't know, there's a, a real disconnect with like kind of how I went to bed versus what I was reading this morning. I was like, uh, am I the bad guy here? <laughs> like, uh, well, but obviously, you, you know, it's good. I, think, it's, I think you are. It's good that he's fine. It is good that he's fine. It's great that he's fine. Yeah. Uh, you can redeem yourself now. <laughs> Samoa Joe is uh, cutting a promo. Tonight's a night of consequences. He's going to smash MJF from pillar to post and beat him in, in his hometown. Um, it's not going to be the future Joe takes from MJF. It's going to be his championship. And then we get uh, a load of uh, promos from people setting up uh, Rampage Grand Slam for the Ring of Honor tag team title shot. I didn't watch this because I saw Rampage stuff. Why would I watch the show, Paul? Um, what did you make of all this? <laughs> Why would I watch the show, Paul? Why would I watch the show? 17, 17 things is too many things to ask me to keep up with. It is too many. This match, various other matches... Like, this, it, this is where we live now. This is what AEW is, and fine. It's like, not always a two-hour rampage, like, to be fair. But yeah, Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, Grand Slam rampage, yeah. And I guess, like, it was there to hype the live crowd, isn't it? They're seeing the graphics coming up. They can get mm-hmm. excited. Whatever. Sell everything they've got, which is too much, but this is wrestling now. Mm. This is life now. Too much yeah. content. I'd watch, <laughs> I'd watch a one-hour rampage. Why would I watch a two-hour rampage? <laughs> um... Right, then it was time for... <laughs> Two times zero is also zero. Let me just check, let me check the uh, the running order, Sid. So we're almost at the main event. There's one more match before the main event. Which match could that be? Oh, it's the women's match. Uh, <laughs> Soraya versus Tony Storm for the AW Women's title. Love Tony Storm's new entrance. It's tremendous. You knew they were going to nail it. Mm-hmm. This feels unstoppably great. All of it. I saw it being described as a starlet entrance. And yeah. that's how I'll refer to it now going forward. Um, <laughs> Soraya starts the match off. And they can build on it. They do a red carpet. Oh yeah, for the next big pay per view match he has. Only oh, the start, isn't it? You can only see the red, so black and white, and just the red. Custom title, and it's an Oscar. Yeah. When she finally gets the belt back, Tony Storm is the Hollywood letters on the hill. Mm-hmm. It's got like there's, it's it reminds me of that story where like remember here's who's the guy that stabbed John Cena. Yeah. One oh, bit of good triple. Wait a H- second. Oh my god. One bit of like good backstage triple H gossip from that era, right? So here's who's coming in. And, like, he's spent a fortune on this, like, incredible outfit of who he believes his character is. And Triple H was like, mate, like, John Cena's going to kill you out there tonight. You're only just getting started. And his was like, thanks, Triple. And he went out there and he got his ass kicked by John Cena. And then they fired him, so he never got to use the gear. But, like, a good idea in theory. Save it. Yeah. Hold some of it back. There's so much more yeah. road to travel. Off the back of you, I just had an idea. And if I don't say it now, I'll completely forget it. Off the back of your uh, wins the title, wins an Oscar... What if she's like wins the title and then you immediately send Renee in there to say like how does it feel and she's like oh I, d- I don't know what to say and then pulls a speech out from in a gear or something yeah you know like the Oscar people are like oh god I didn't anticipate this well here's fifty people I'd like to thank just maybe she, to- maybe she's the smartest wrestler ever because based on the current climate she can go on strike and just not work <laughs> yeah and save the bump card a little bit enjoy like being seen at the picket line and the right strike might be ending soon solidarity oh. with her I heard that on the radio today fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> no more rock and scene on SmackDown. See you later, guys. See you later, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so yeah, uh, ex Outcast <laughs> team members, of course, who start off with Serena slapping the taste out of Tony Storm's uh, mouth, and that sort of fired Tony Storm up. She laughed in her face uh, and hit some chops and take out Ruby Soho for good measure. Uh, and she turned around. Obviously, that distraction has allowed Serena to recover. Thrust kick from her. Um, Storm regains control though, sweeps the leg on the apron, goes under the ring. What's going on here? And she gets pulled out by Ruby Soho. She's got the shoes. Ruby Soho doesn't watch out for it. She gets nailed with it. Um, the ref takes one shoe away from Tony Storm, but she nails Saray with the other high heel for a nice two count. We go to break. We come back. There's the spray paint stuff. Uh, Soho pulls it away from Tony Storm. And whilst the referee's taking, got busy getting rid of Ruby, uh, she throws the spray paint to Saray, who sprays Storm, hits the nightcap. You think that's the finish. No, Tony Storm kicks out. Um, there's a, a turnbuckle's been exposed earlier on in the in the match. Soraya can't bring herself though to slam Tony Storm face first into that. So the hesitation there. Storm blocks a kick, lays a smooch on Soraya, um, hits Storm zero. Really good two point nine 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 there. Um, Soraya gets set up in the exposed corner, but moves as Storm goes for sweet cheek music. Hits the nightcap. One, two, three. Soraya retains the AEW Women's World title in, well, her best match in AEW. That was mostly a triumph. I'm going to get some little pedantic. Not pedantic, I don't think. It's a complaint out the way. It's up to you to decide, the listener, whether pedantic or informed or whatever. Um, I don't need to see a non-consensual kiss in any context. Yes, mm. I just don't. Just feels so weird, doesn't it, when you see it now? I. It, it was. It's one of those where it should have been weird all along. Yeah, but the public consciousness has mercifully changed. I just don't need to see it. They replay the Ric Flair Becky Lynch one from 2016. Sometimes like that was 2016. Aye, what are we doing? They edit it out on the network. It's, I think, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Gonski on there. Yeah. Gonski on there. Oh, by the way, Taz is saying Jones too much. Velvet Slipper Jones. He's saying Jones too much. How about Taz? I like Taz, but he's really starting to wind us up Did with it. Did you this. catch the moment when he saw a fan in an old ECW Taz shirt and he involuntarily marked out? He went, oh! And then they were like, what? what you? And then, like, because the match moved on or something. He's like, oh, just someone in my shirt there. <laughs> it's so lovely. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I love him, but the Jones thing is getting a bit much. Just like my Jim Ross impression, apparently. <laughs> I disagree with the second half of that. Jim Ross right? Jones. I do not need to see a non-consensual kiss. I just don't. Um, I also don't need every single stable slash tag team breakup to have this, oh, do I really want to go through with this? I still like you a little bit. You're still my mate. Just can I have it cut and dried a little bit with this? Or at least not with everything. There's so many, like, ex-friends. That's the thing. Friendship is the new hatred in wrestling and feels like, you know, you can already feel like, oh, people are trying to do this too much. Like, the Elite have done it. Sami Zayn and Roman. MJF and Cole. All in their own ways, excellent. But then a trend becomes... It's like the landfill melodrama. Mm-hmm. In Britain, there was an indie boom of indie rock music at the turn of the century where the Libertines got hot on the back of the Strokes, getting hot across the Atlantic, and then you got Arctic Monkeys, and then you got a derivation of a derivation of a derivation, and you got what was called Landfill Indie, where every lad with a decent bone structure who could play guitar (laughs) and could write one who could not fill an album with it started to just produce absolute Landfill generic indie rock music because it was hot. 
this felt like landfill melodrama to me in this match. Um, it just uh, doesn't need it. You hate each other now, just fight. And I hate got, to be reductive, but come on. But we've got the good version of it as well. Because before Sweet Cheek Music, Tony Storm did the I'm Sorry, I Love You. I wish he just did it in isolation. That's the perfect and just mocked it And just mocked it yeah. without yeah. doing the thing to get to it. Do you know what I thought she was doing? You know, when she went under the ring, obviously, you know, shoe thing, obviously, when she did I, it. I, what, do you want to say? Well, uh, how are we going to do this? Because it's, gonna, it's three, not just a word. Okay. Three, well, what did you think was going to come out? Okay. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Yeah. Three, two, one, stunt double. Ah! <laughs> I thought it was a stunt yes. double. And that's another thing they can do in future. I didn't, I didn't want to make awful podcast noise there, but I thought the exact same thing. Honestly, thought it was a stunt double. That would have been genius. They can maybe go back to it. We've yeah. passed the seven-year thing with Ms. Dow, and that was amazing. Yes. So, no, the edge. All right, Jim Cott. <laughs> I would never call you that. You. I call you, <laughs> but I'll never call you that. <laughs> um, the good news, away from my complaints, is that this was Soraya's best match in AEW by some distance, and Tony Storm's the best because she's worked out a way to weave this character work into the body of a wrestling match. The shoe stuff was inspired. You get the smoke and the mirrors, but you also get, in harmony, like Tony Storm can lay the absolute f*** out of a match. <laughs> she is so good in that ring at the overdrive of the finishing sequence mm -hmm. and knowing when to do the near falls, knowing when not to take the piss and just timing everything. And her stuff looks so great. And when she, like, sells, it's like death. She's such a great wrestler, and she has already seamlessly incorporated this character work into it. Like, long may this continue. This women's division feels like it's never going to matter that much. But if you've got a performer that over, you can at least feel like someone in it matters. Yeah, it's been so satisfying to watch this character not compromise her status as the ace. Because it could have done, it really could have done. This is such a, like, she's laying it on thick in the gimmick, and you would almost kind of understand why. You know, like Chris Jericho did it as a heel, didn't he? He stopped doing flashy stuff. He stopped, he gave up so many things that he enjoyed pandering to people for to try and get his suited and booted serious man over. Mm. Tony Storm could have done a different version of that, where she goes so silly into the character that she has to stop drilling people with killer pile drivers and awesome stiff shots, and she hasn't. She's just brought them together beautifully like it was no it was great to watch it was both what is it it was a surprise but not a shock that Soraya had a best match with Tony Storm yeah like, yes because that's who, what people do when they're in there with Tony Storm like what a what a gift she remains to this roster and super credible like again like I would say this was a case of going over and getting over because Tony Storm lost absolutely nothing in defeat no. this was a pinfall loss to your hottest character in the division and no damage done if I was cynical, and guess what I am, <laughs> I would have maybe suspected, did Tony Storm look a little bit foolish or outwitted because she was kind of hoisted by her own petard because she was the one to remove the turnbuckle? Did she need to go for the spray can when she did? And none of that matters. You can, like, when the character's that hot and that great, like, I, was, I had that thought and I just banished it from my head. Mm -hmm. Who cares? It's a useful character in that respect, though, because she's a little bit... Like, she's losing it. Oh, she's losing and it, And as yeah. a result, her decision-making is not as solid as it should be, and yeah. thus you can make those mistakes and almost fold it in, can't you? Things are getting worse, yeah. and things are getting better mm, for the yeah. character. 
Uh, before we move on to the main event, let me just double check. Yeah, that was the only women's match on the card. Uh, before, we get to the, uh, before we get to the name of the game, Sage, what's the aim of this game? The aim of the game is to the hour, minute, and second identify the first note, the first women's entrance theme for the first one to appear for the only match. And it used to work a lot better this game when it was exclusively the uh, penultimate match on the card because if we got it like one hour 24 or one hour 26, yeah. it was betwixt between the two, betwixt is money word, then it was always like, oh, it's a bit of a pattern here, lads. Why don't you actually make an effort <laughs> and not do formulaic obligatory token and the bloody walks will complain if we don't put the birds on. That's what it is, but they've changed it around a little bit, so the game isn't quite as effective as it once was, but nonetheless, that's the aim of the game. The name of the game is, well, it's this ladies' name, and I'm thinking, oh, what a night. <laughs> as always to Adam Blair and Jose Palomares at Adam Wilton 4 and at the Ho 11 who uh, always take care of the um, data thank you <laughs> this sort of thing one hour 17 minutes and 54 seconds Michael Hamlet six seconds away from perfection you know what his problem is as well is that he always goes flat because he's bored of it, I think. Yeah. So That's if you just do the seconds. I know. Yeah. A bit more fun with it. A little bit more fun. Nearly, complete, more nearly completed the game. And as you pointed out, Wilborn, for all the wrong reasons. Oh, we've nailed it. How does that mean the game stops? Well, it, it didn't really make its point because it's still only one women's yeah. match, but yeah. We have a three in 7,200 chance <laughs> of getting it right every week, right? And we thought, well, the game will retire because they'll put more women's matches on now. Now I got collision out. Yeah. You can always put two hour, uh, two women's matches on a week. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the old good old rampage? Get Jane out there. Yeah, yeah, 30 seconds. <laughs> Goodbye, Verta Vixen. See you later, Verta Vixen. <laughs> See you later, critics. <laughs> Why are you still here? See you later, broads. <laughs> Get the men out for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hamlet moves on to seven correct guesses on the year. Sidric still in the lead with eight, and me on four. Uh, Sidge, do you want anything from the shops or anything now? Because um, we're about to get to MJF's entrance, and Michael Hamlet is in the studio, as you are, actually. So I'm just going to pop out for a bit, because I'm not going to have to say anything for the next 20 I think minutes. I, I think I just did pop out thinking of the entrance again, to be quite honest with you. Do you want to you explain it? He's crying. The top the, of your zip a little bit, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, got daddy cack. In, uh, in case anyone missed it, um, why should you never buy Russian underpants? <laughs> Chernobyl for that. <laughs> I love the fact that that cut off the other day. Somebody like read out name. Who, you, you talk. who like had the podcast cut off halfway through us trying to figure out what the punchline was to that. Oh, yeah, that would drive you nuts. Yeah, what a, like what a sort of a desperate sort of twenty four hour search for a download that worked. You got it going in the end. It was fine. Yeah, in the um, WWF's new generation. <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking. I'm got, trying to find the bloke's name, and it's. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, eh, obviously a series of tweets because you were live live tweeting last yeah. night. And pictures of cereal of their dirty den just shows up. <laughs> Absolutely good. The next day. Yeah, new generation. Um definitely the greatest period for all of pro wrestling, just nobody was watching, so they yes. didn't they didn't realise it. But the vel velvet underground of professional wrestling. Absolutely that, yeah. Um there was a series of commercials for the top baby faces. Uh very WWE look. We're not going to get necessarily the best work out of some of the heels that these baby faces have to face. So we're going to have Diesel signing autographs. We're going to have Razor Ramon showing that like there's a better way, and there's going to be Bret Hart, the ultimate hero. And like this felt true as well, didn't yeah. it? Like, he really was. Everything. Ryan, sorry, I've just found his name. Ryan, Ryan, yeah. Ryan, thank you for glad he found it in the end. <laughs> Chernobyl fallout. It's one of Stax's best. It's it one of Stax's have been good in this one. And what we saw here with MJF. If you're like, where's jokes on a podcast? NXT preview and review, wherever you get your podcasts from. Which also explains the Dirty Den. 
Oh, dirty old bastard. <laughs> Basically, Bret Hart did a vignette where he uh, greets a kid, gives him his glasses. The kid says, go get him, champ. And MJF remakes it shot for shot, and I feel like Dirty Den sucking his finger on a webcam. Oh, my God. <laughs> Quite honestly. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Except in this case, he gives him the scarf instead of the glasses, obviously. And Brett at the time, like, kind of ruffles his hair, doesn't he? He marches off to the ring proudly. MJF whispers something to the kid's ear, and the kid's like, I'm adopted! <laughs> and the dad is left with the detritus that MJF has left behind. Because he's a scumbag, but he's our scumbag. scumbag. It's all about commentary as well. You some good points about this as well. Oh, like these Roddy Strong bits. Tony Schiavone is raging. The devil has worked. He's played a trick. Like, Tony Schiavone no longer thinks MJF's a prick. He's raging on MJF's behalf. I'm softening on my stance, my insistence that I don't think MJF's fully turned because he's just a bit more ironic, uncanny emulations of babyface work. And I think if he was a fully-fledged babyface, he would play it straight. And there's another layer to the game. Trying too hard, almost. Yes, was- but now, like, the selling in this match, I'm thinking, he's the best babyface alive. There was a bit, right, in this match, and I can't remember if it was the, the bit with the diamond ring or the <coughs> point at which um, MJF was able to strike with the first low blow. But it happened... And rather than commenting on the cheating, Tony Schiavone, like, reacted as if DDP was getting saved from a beatdown from the NWO. He's like, the heart and the desire of MJF. I was like, that's, that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible, of all people. And the gear? MJF, in this fantastic bit that we think we've spotted, where he is not so much a top babyface as trying to be what he thinks a top babyface should be. That's certainly my take on it. His gear is always very, very detailed, but he likes to go like a layer further. So like when he was feeding with Punk, he wore like WCW stunning Steve Austin tights. Didn't just go like Route 1, black trunks, black boots. And he wore like Chris Candido gear because Punk's got no gimmicks needed. Like he went really deep with it to get into Punk's skin. And he wore, actually he wore the gear here that he used to take with the last time, but it was uh, baseball gear on the tights and the boots, but his jacket had a stitched on badge of every New York sporting franchise, including some discontinued ones. Yeah. <laughs> I've got everybody. Oh, we all. Like, including, I think, if I've got this New York sports right, like rivals. He's like, I've come to the northeast of England. Sunderland, Newcastle, hit me up. I love you guys. Like, he, he didn't care. He's like, all of them. Oh, I'm on the jacket. Oh, I'm on the jacket. He's, he's, he's the best at this. He's the best. And then he goes out and has like another. Like, match of the night, is this the best match I've seen in months? Match of which he has all the goddamn time. Yeah, and I love an old school when Joe ripped off the, you know, it's a Mets-inspired top that he had on. Yeah. And wiped his ass with it. I just love that sort of thing. Did you give it a sniff, didn't yeah. you? you? You probably see the name he had on the back. D Clothesline 31. <laughs> that Clothesline. <laughs> Uh, so Joe, match starts, MJF, Samojo, AW World title. Joe sort of toys with him initially. Um, MJF goes for the eye poke. <laughs> Good baby stage that he is. Go, tries to go for, go for a sleeper. Uh, so Joe fires back, slams MJF down, and uh, MJF's like, Oh, my f***! <laughs> my f***ing <laughs> next f- mate. My f***ing next f***, bruv. Uh, Osprey? <laughs> uh yeah, Joe works over the neck in picture in picture. Uh, when we come back, MJF fires back up with lariats, but sells oh, his neck after each one. Ow, my neck elf. <laughs> uh, this is the spot with the New York Mets-inspired gear, uh, and that 
winds up MJF, comes back, he gets a back rake, sends Joe into the corner, tent, uh, slams his head on the top turnbuckle ten times, hits punches, bites him, uh, and then hits it to a kangaroo kick. Oh, my God. He's a huge heavy. Uh, that sends Joe outside. MJF's like, you know, pure baby face that he is, is now like, well, time for a dive. Goes to that, but Joe hits a kick through the ropes and a horrible-looking... But great looking. Oh Death. my god, this Death Valley driver. Death Valley driver, yeah, onto the edge of the ring. Uh, MJF manages to kick out, so Joe pulls a table out from under the ring, sets it up, and uh, Uranagi's MJF through it, and then, as if that wasn't bad enough, exposes the concrete bit underneath, tries to a power driver. MJF bites the knee of Joe to stop that, but he can't hit one of his own. Joe fights it off and hits MJF with a pile driver on the floor. The doctors are like, well, MJF's dead. Uh, they check on him, but Joe immediately just, get out of the way, clobbers off of them, pushes them out of the way, throws MJF back in the ring, but MJF just kicks out. Joe screams at MJF to give up, so Maxwell spits right in his face. So Joe slaps. Right in his mouth. No, it went right in his mouth. I think that might have been the point when Tony Schiavone was like, get him <laughs> spat in his mouth, Tony. What have you become? Uh, MJF floated over whatever Joe was going for after that, though, and hit a massive sit-out powerbomb for two. Had knee right, much mm. like the match. Mm. They uh, trade strikes and sleeper attempts. MJF mule kicks Joe, though, uh, whilst the referee's not looking, and uh, just winks at the camera, basically, whilst putting on the beautiful diamond ring. Um Goes to charge it in with it, but Joe pulls the ref in front, who goes, what are you doing with that? <laughs> Takes that off MJF, and that allows Joe to uh, kick MJF low, get him up, muscle buster. I could taste the Biscoff latte, Michael Sidgwick, on our bet from yesterday. Good bruise bet. Shout out to the guys at Good Bruise. But MJF just kicks out. Joe can't believe it. Uh, he puts him in a sleeper. MJF's fading. He's fading. They're going to do the old classic drop-your-arm three-time spot. And as that's happening... Who should run out from the back but Adam Cole, who injures himself, oh. jumping down from the ramp to the floor. I don't know if he did his knee or his ankle or whatever, but reports are now saying he was, he's on crutches following this. Oh. Get well soon, Adam. Um, Adam. <laughs> but uh, No empathy. <laughs> I felt it here. It was really like disarming, wasn't it, watching him limp about when you're like trying to stay within the match. And you're like, oh, this is happening. Please walk straight. Oh, you can't. Like, it was really awkward. But uh, that... Kyle almost broke his neck for all you knew. Oh, no, I could just oh, see... His little knee's fine, though. I could just see his leg was hurt. That's what I'm saying. Like, Moxley, man. No, oh, when they said he stood up, it was fine. I was nervous in the moment. And then it was like... <laughs> oh, fine. Someone Twitter was like, I was walking. I oh, oh, got a second <laughs> bowl of cereal. Austin did that after <laughs> the seven, and he was fine. Second bowl of marshmallow mateys. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. It, Cole's appearance means that the third arm drop doesn't happen for uh, MJF. Uh, he gets a roll-up and then gets a sleeper of his own, but Joe runs into the corner. Paul Donner just bails out of there, when he, as you would, and he sees them coming. Uh, Joe goes after Cole, and that allows MJF to get his tape, wrap it around Joe's throat, hide that with a sleeper, and Joe passes out. MJF retains the world title, uh, and he tucks the tape under his arm. Paul Turner lifts his arm in the air to declare him the winner. The tape drops on the floor. MJF immediately hugs Paul Turner and pushes <laughs> him to the corner as Adam Cole slides in to get rid of the evidence. Joe comes to, shoves Adam Cole. MJF stands in between them. And Joe's like, looks at MJF and basically says, uh, Hey, 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 hey. You all right. Handshake. Uh, the doctors check on MJF. Cole applauses Brochacho. 
and all's good in the world as the show goes off the air. Someone should have booked that finish. Well, we do only do spoilers, not predictions on these podcasts, do we know? But I want to put over AEW and Tony Khan again here because this is a masterpiece. <laughs> all of it was. Um, the one thing I've always wanted from AEW is to be invited to fantasy book loads, things based on the clues I've been given, and then do something I didn't see coming. The finish, you know, the choke and all that. We talked about it yesterday. We called it. You called it. Yeah, you called it. You know, it. like... We should do more like... Uh, like I's and U's instead of, this, <laughs> instead of this we and taking credit for my stuff. And I won't take credit for yours either. <laughs> I just book people to do muse and then do wanker symbols. It never happens except for the shows that I'm not at, typical. The Twice. fact Twice, yeah. better than the choke out with the tape is the fact that he was going to get caught all over again and now he's got a friend. Adam Cole's place in his life has allowed him to keep this title because he would have made the exact same mistake and the match would have continued and then who knows what. I love that element of that even more and being 100% bang right in class about the finish itself because mm. just every layer they add to the friendship creates more problems if and when that is torn apart. Like, I want to believe that they have got a plan, but I'm leaning more on Sidgwick's feeling that they're starting to roll with it and they may be pivoting a little bit. But I love that. Like, Cole has done that. Cole has made... Great pivoting. Yeah. Cole has made a flawed MJF plan work, yet again adding value to his life and his championship reign and all of that and all of these things are going to matter so much more if and when one of them turns and running out of superlatives for MJF matches because we're so far we're so far removed from that era of yeah he's got on the microphone but like can he do it on a wet Wednesday night in Stoke like he does that all the time yeah. he's had one bad match in AEW yeah like and it's, it was in 2019 it's just that feels like you almost feel like you can't believe that was the take MJF is so good at this point. Um, Samoa Joe is, and I think we talked about this, like I think it's consistent to say that like, we think that Samoa Joe's been pretty inconsistent. The good's been there and the peaks have been high and this was another high peak in Samoa Joe 2023. But he's not this like guaranteed great match, mm. but MJF is. So like this was everything you expected in that respect. I love this babyface MJF character so much. Maybe that's the point because I'm supposed to have my heart broken by watching it disappear all over again. And it's why it's so much fun. It's why this gives me that 2021 feeling where like I implore people, please watch this. What if you're kind of not feeling it with AW, watch this, watch this character, watch this story, because this is what it's all about. This is what you'll be talking about in years to come. We said it when the punk thing was happening. We knew we were in the middle of a classic story that we then referenced. Same with Page and Omega and certain other AEW stories. You know when you're in them how magic they are. This is one, and it's coming, and it's arguably more important than those because it's coming at a time when not all else is. Mm. So this is the reminder of where, you know, maybe I was wrong. Maybe Wrestle Dream will be better than no, NXT No Mercy after all because it's still a place where stories like this exist. <laughs> yeah. I thought this match was an absolute triumph. And again, I'm running out. Like, I... You know when, like, uh, it makes us feel like a total rube. Like, I've got no concept of how to construct a story. How do they come up with this stuff? (laughs) (laughs) How do these guys come up with this stuff? If you look at the subplot with Roddy and Cole and how it was Joe who really badly injured for a while and then he starts milking it, Roddy's neck, and then he does MJF's neck and all the neck stuff and how that is the symbol of the various relationships between Cole, Roddy, and MJF. And could they pick a better wrestler to think, right, okay, well, how do we drive this forward through the vehicle of pro wrestling? Could they have picked a better wrestler than Samoa Joe with his specific in-ring arsenal to work someone with a bad neck, with a Kikina clutch and the muscle buster? Yeah, Like, it's... 
and his aura and his size. And it felt at various points in this match, which was so well laid out, so well executed, and so well thought. Like, he's not going to survive. How? Look at him. Yeah. And look at the bumps he's taken. Like, total commitment to the bit. There are three tiers of a world championship defense, right? You've got the epic pay-per-view main event. You've got the pretty big-time TV. And then you've got the Eliminator slash, I'll just do it this week. N- no one's going to buy it. This was tier two, where it's like, it's a big TV one, yeah. big TV. I don't know if I would necessarily entrust it to sell a pay-per-view at the AEW floor level, but it's one of the bigger TV matches you'll do. And the trick, as I say, is make us bite once or twice. I'm into the story, but I'm going into it that with the mindset of, I will never bet money on this in my life. Make us think once, maybe twice, that the title switch is going to happen and you've reached the idealized strata of this match. Like three times, thought, well, that's it. That's it. They're going to switch it, they're going to switch it, they're going to switch it. The commitment to that Death Valley driver bump just changed the tenor of the match completely. It was such a great bump. I was desensitized to apron bumps like since maybe even before AEW began. And then I saw that, and it's like, well, that's just such a great spot. It looks so vile that you think, right, that's it, he's done for. And then they do the Uranagi, and then the pile driver, and you think they've broken the rule of three here. That's it, he's done. Good environmental stuff, that, wasn't it? Like, kind of away in the corner, tucked away on yes. the floor. That, like, really good choice, that. Yeah. Oh, this feels like a transgression now. He's he's finished. Yeah, he's finished. Done. Then they do the muscle buster, and I thought, right, well... That was it, I thought. Yeah. Incredible near fall. And the... An absolutely unbelievable near fall. And the gift of it being such a like a dense and intricate story is that in your head, you have the suspension of disbelief going on, but you also have in the back of your head, well, if they do this, what do they do next? And there's like there's a million avenues of possibility that they with which they can navigate Cole and MGF part two. MGF and Strong. There's a million things they could do. So it's like, well, they take the title off MGF. They can do this, and he can come back to it. It's just the neck, the Joe, the strong, the cold, the timing of it all. It's just, it's majestic. Mm. It is like, how do they come up with this stuff? <laughs> like a rube in the best possible way. We've always said AEW is the, it's the promotion that tells stories in a way that I didn't think wrestling as a medium was capable, genuinely, and they've proven to do it. And it's always like, how do they make it better? How do they make it better than you could ever think? And, like, this program is doing, I would say, everything for my investment in this company. Yes, the Eddie thing was absolutely lovely. Yes, I'll see Danielson and Starks, and if they hit the ceiling of what they can do on Saturday, you've probably got the best match of the year on television. It's this that really draws me in and makes me think this company is still fighting for this title. (laughs) You cannot do this week to week. You kind of like book it on the back of a napkin and just think, oh, we'll just do this this week. This will be fun for the characters. MJ, I, w- I need to know what the WhatsApps look like. Yeah, like uh, this is not MJ and Adam Cole get to work. Right, what's on the docket today? How are we developing the story? This is, I don't know if it's storyboarding, but yeah, the WhatsApps, the whatever, this is thought through yeah. and right down at the level of a Joe and the opponents and right who, if we're picking him, let's just say you start with next stuff as the reason to pick Joe. But how else does he figure in? And let's make that work, and let's make that make sense. And, and then this what, 2016 takeover, we can drink, bring yeah. that into it. And already, what's probably happened is they'll have done. We don't know who this character is. There, they'll have done something with a character with an AEW that is all ready to feed in as MJF and Adam Cole's next rivals, the next person that's going to feed in. The exact problem with the bloodline, the lack of people that are getting parachuted into it, 
we've probably been talking about someone without realising that the thing that's happening in their storyline is because they're about to be parachuted in it. I think it's Ricky Starks. I think Ricky Starks beats Brian Danielson and the, this time last year, you know, if they go again at Winter is Coming, they, he could be the guy, but it's with the alignment oh, shifted yeah. Yeah. and they do the Winter is Coming rematch and it's about like, I nearly had you last year and everybody said in 12 months I'm going to take you and I am, but suddenly we found ourselves around Jeff's the babyface hero and Starks as a heel. And I like think Danielson has to go over ahead of Wrestle Dream, though. That's a thing. Maybe, yeah. But like, but, but again, going over, AW now. going over and getting over as well. Starks has had a really good run on Collision. But like, we don't know yet that he's been like teed up as MJF's opponent. But soon you can start looking back at clips and being like, ah, mm. this was for you. Or whoever else it is, you know, they're just putting too much thought in this to allow it to fail or look sloppy or have weeks where it doesn't really add up. I love that feeling. Well, let us know your thoughts on AW Dynamite Grand Slam on eggs. Uh, at <laughs> <laughs> you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Check out Michael Sidgwick's brilliant ups and downs article at... What no, Culture. it's a transcript. WhatCulture.com <laughs> right now. You can follow me on X uh, at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCulture WWE. And, of course, me and Sid will be back tomorrow to look ahead to AEW. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like a magic trick with your little... This is it. You post a picture on the on the thread. No. People are wondering what, what Sedge talking about. This pen tourniquet spinny thing that he does with his wrist. I'll do it. I'll do it at some point. Just you'll, did. You'll see it soon. What Culture Wrestling Podcast on YouTube. Go and subscribe. Just did a Chris Jericho, I'm a wizard fireball reveal and the pen spun around. <laughs> like like Frank Butcher's bow tie in EastEnders when he's in the nude for pass. Is that wizard? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that one didn't work. What am I talking about? Follow me on X and find out. <laughs> if I can remember. <laughs> This has been the Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Danny Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best. And there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.